welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are talking about chapters 39 through the end of Call Down the Hawk by Maggie Stiefvater with a special guest, our friend Kat. Hey, Kat. Hello. Hi. Hi. Briefly introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Well, I'm Kat, and I am a uh, a podcasting civilian. This is my first <laughs> appearance in this medium. Um, but yeah, I know these guys through another podcast community, and am likewise obsessed with the series. So happy to be here. We're very excited to have you. Thank you for coming on our podcast for your first podcast. It's very exciting. It's very funny how this one podcast community that brought us all together has now spawned very many other podcasts. So many other podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so we're excited to have, I guess, snapped you up first here. Before we dive into this back half of Called on the Hawk, the last book in our Raven Cycle series for now, which is very wild and kind of upsetting that we're at this point. Uh, what is everyone obsessing over this week? I had a week off of school, so I tried to get as much reading in as possible. So I read like those little short stories that were like the Amazon originals. I think it's the Far Away series. Hmm. Uh, Spoiler, I didn't really like any of them. I I don't know what was going on there. I did also read The Night Tiger by Yang Shi Chu, um, which was really, really good. I recommend that too. I'm I'm like way late on this book, but it is indeed worth the hype. So check it out if you haven't yet. Kat, what about you? Anything Um, you're really into this week? I, this week has been a lot of me running around like a chicken with my head cut off. So kind of no, except that um, I'm obsessed with what's on the horizon for me, which is that I've had like every book that I'm super behind on come in in my library holds at once. Mm -hmm. So I'm obsessed with the fact that I need to figure out how to read Shadow and Bone Cemetery Boys, The House on the Cerulean Sea, and How to Lose the Time War before my holds expire in the next well, week or so. The good, news is, the good news is though, a lot of those are really short. So awesome. yeah. more cemetery boys, those are all really quick reads. So yeah. I'm going to uh, make with the exception work. of shadow and bone. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, I think you got this. Yeah, I think you got yeah. that too. I have a similar situation that I have 14 books. Out <laughs> I don't understand. Well, some of them I've had for weeks and weeks and they just keep rolling over. And some of them I also have, I was just looking before we started recording. I have four books that are due in six days. So it's like, mm, I don't know which of these I'm going to it's get to. Fine. <laughs> uh, it's totally great. And some of them I definitely want to get to um, ones that have been on my list for a long time, like Interior Chinatown, which I know a lot of people have read and in our other podcast community, people are really into. So I really want to get to it this week, but I don't know, work is a thing, I guess. I did have some time this week to read a couple of things. I've read uh, Passing by Nella Lawson, which I think I know Tasia read. So yes, we are reading Passing and discussing Passing actually later today in our other book club that we are in. And it is a short story uh, written and set in 1920s Chicago and New York about the idea of passing of, of two uh, Black women who are able to pass as white in society and kind of the ramifications of that. And it was really, really interesting, really compulsively written, I felt. And it is a film that premiered at Sundance this year starring Tessa Thompson and it is going to premiere on Netflix sometime this year. So that was really, really good. And it, it was short. It was a novella, only like 100 pages. 
I really liked that. And um, that was probably the thing I've thought most about this week. Other than this book, I was proud of myself for not procrastinating till the last minute. I actually read this in page increments, which unlike last week where I was just putting it off and cramming at the last minute. But that just really means I've been sitting in my feelings for two days since I finished it. So let's dive in here. Uh, We'll start as we always do with a quick book summary. Tasia, take it away. Adam scries and enters the lace, which he reveals is scared of Bride. Ronan dreams of Bride, who tells him that he'll trust him if Ronan saves Hennessy. Hennessy dreams another copy, nearly drowning in the process before Ronan saves her. Ronan tries to teach Hennessy how to dream safely after learning that her dream of the lace and not the copies is slowly killing her. Matthew figures out that Ronan dreamt him, and Declan learns that Mora Cora is his mother. Declan and Jordan meet the new Fenian, a copy of Nile, who tells them not to pursue Mora Cora or Boudicca. Parsifal has one last vision and dies in the process. The vision leads Carmen to Liliana, whose next vision leads the moderators to the Lynch family. The moderators go to Declan's townhouse, and Ronan manifests a pack of demon dogs to save his family. While Declan, Matthew, and Jordan head head back to the barns to look for answers, Ronan and Hennessy decide to finally contact Bride. Ronan and Hennessy dream and fight off the lace, waking up with twin flaming swords and Bride there with them as the moderators surround them. The book ends with the trio fleeing from the moderators. Well, that was a really hard summary to write, honestly, because this back half of the book, it is very plotty and a lot happens. And then there's also really good chewy character stuff. And then the ending is just kind of like, what the heck? So it was kind of a hard summary to write and synthesize down into any real concise statement of what happens. But a lot, a lot does happen. And... I guess we should just dive in and we'll start off by talking as we did last week too about the Lynch brothers who really are the focus of this book. And in the back half too, we have a lot of great stuff to deal with in terms of their family dynamic and whatnot. I like how you say that we're just going to start with the Lynch brothers. <laughs> like <laughs> That should be short and sweet, right? Yeah, right. yeah. No, it's not going to dominate this entire conversation. I know. Let's start with, I think, the biggest plot reveal or biggest thing I think that will have the most interesting long-term implications, given that we know he's going to get his own POV in Mr. Impossible, which comes out in a couple of months here, is Matthew realizing that he is a dream and that Ronan dreamt him. I'm going to cry. Are we going to start our cry count right now? Because I'm there with you. (laughs) I could never imagine... Matthew being anything less than like the bubbly, happy, silly person he is. And then watching him, watching that change. I remember ages ago um, when Maggie was still writing this, she tweeted something like, uh, I finally figured out how to break what I thought was an unbreakable character. And this was it. Like, this has to be it. This was Matthew. She broke Matthew. That makes me feel really better about some of the theories that I have found on Tumblr who thought that that was like maybe her breaking Adam or something, which we'll talk about him more later. But like if the, if the breaking has already happened, I know there's more pain coming. And and that, and she's already, she already broke Adam in the Raven cycle and he's he's built himself back up now. He's already been at like a low point. We we can all agree that we need to go ahead and stop breaking Adam. I think at this time. (laughs) Yeah. Please, please, please do that. For our well-being, yes. But like that scene where Matthew figures it out, it's I think it's really remarkable because, you know, so much of Matthew is that he's just kind of scatterbrained. And we've talked about how 
I don't want to use like the phrase simple, but we've kind of talked about how Matthew and Aurora too, in a lot of ways were more simplistic or seemed more simplistic in comparison to other characters. And we thought that a lot of that had to do with the fact that they're dreams, but for Matthew to logic it out, to see all of the dream creatures there with him and realize they're all acting the same as him and then realizing that, okay, well, I can't be one of dad's because I'd be asleep. So I have to be one of Ronan's. I literally have goosebumps all over my body just like thinking about that moment in the scene where he's processing that. It's so interesting because, yeah, Aurora, like the level of self-awareness that dreams have in the series and, and kind of in, in the past series is really fascinating because Aurora was it was always really hard to tell how aware she was of like what kind of family she had and who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that it seemed like it might be part of her n- dreamed nature. Yeah. I think that's, that's part of the nature that Niall dreamt into her. Cause I was, I was thinking about this this week too, because you know, I never would have thought that Matthew could have figured something out like that. Like my expectations of his like mental facilities were really low just because Ronan was so young when he dreamt him. Yeah. Um, so he could not dream a lot of complexity into Matthew, but he dreamt enough for Matthew to be able to figure this out. And when we think about Aurora also being very kind of simplistic or very not complex, I think that, and, and Niall presumably obviously dreamt her as an adult. Mm-hmm. So I think the reason for her simplicity is because Niall made her that way. Because yeah. we've seen that yeah. like through Hennessy and Jordan, that it's very uh, possible to dream a lot of complexity into a person to make them their own person. I think Niall intentionally did not make Aurora her own person. She was dreamt to, just to be like, to love people, to love him. Yeah. Well, and I wonder how much of that is when when you see characters dreaming copies of themselves, like how much of that is just inherent to really understanding only yourself on a certain level, or like you can really, you can reproduce what you feel and the complexities of who you are, but like understanding that about another person is always limited. So yeah, yeah it's like we, we've never really known how much of a capacity for full complexity yeah, a, you know, a not copy dream has, right. you know, and seeing seeing that in this like incredibly heartbreaking way is really, really tough. You know, I think to them, it does make me wonder if maybe we've all just kind of sold Matthew a little short here. I mean, it mm-hmm. seems to me like when we look at a situation like Hennessy dreaming Jordan at a young age, yes, that's a, a copy of herself, but it seems to me that the more we learn about dreaming, the more it's really just more simple in terms of how it's done. You just think of something and then it's there. So even as a kid, as a toddler, however old Ronan was when he dropped Matthew, maybe there is something there saying, I want a brother. And you do have a fully formed human that comes into the world. And Yes, his primary characteristic is what Ronan was looking for at a time, a brother who is the opposite of Declan, a very happy, charismatic being who who didn't have the same concern and anxiety that Declan did, even at a young age. And Matthew is the complete opposite of Declan in a lot of those ways. But that I guess that doesn't necessarily mean that he is without some of the other characteristics that make up a human critical thought, things like yeah. that, you know, this is one of the more heartbreaking things here is when Declan really puts his foot in his mouth and says, well, we didn't know if you had <laughs> internal <laughs> organs. Yeah. But like, I, if, if dreaming is, is as simplistic as I want a human, 
Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't dream space give you a fully formed human? I feel like maybe they should just run Matthew through an MRI. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm really, like, I want them to do that for just me. Like, I just want to know, yeah, I know. what's in there. When Matthew's like, I can't, I, I was at soccer practice and all I could think about is that I might not have organs. I'm like, me too, buddy. That's all I can think about. <laughs> like, well, and, and it seems inconsistent though. Cause like when we're not talking about people and just talking about dreams, the spectrum is like, I dreamed you a motorcycle and oops, it has, there's nowhere for the gas to go and it just runs magically yeah, that's a good point. all the way to Lindenmere, which is something yeah. that is, is complex in a way that the actual dreamer who led it into the world world has no capacity to understand, you know? Yeah. I think that's one of the running themes in this book and probably through this dreamer uh, series is that, um, cause that's sort of what bride's been telling Ronan, right? He's been telling him you're, you're thinking too small. You're thinking too, yeah. small. you're letting yourself be limited by, by what you perceive as reality, but dreams are not, are not held by those rules. Mm-hmm. So we're, I think we're just starting to kind of crack crack open exactly like how complex and how big dreams can be. I mean, look at Lace and Bride. Yeah. Yeah. Like where are they coming from? That's a really, that's a really good point there. Yeah. There's still just so much we don't know, but for, for Matthew in particular, it was just very, the end for him in this book where he's like, no, we need, I need answers. Like we need to look for the answers and for Declan to be like, okay, we're going to do that is such a big moment for this family to finally stop kind of girding around the main issues that they have. I mean, it's, they are all in on some level now of, of what Niall Lynch was and what that meant for their family, but they're finally going to, they're going to work on that together. And so I, I really like that for Matthew to be like, this is not enough. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, but it also feels like Matthew waking up in a way that's giving him different agency and may just make him into a totally different kind of a character with different weight in the story, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I I just love all the little moments we get to, you know, he says, Declan, this is the worst thing you've ever done to me. Um, But I also like that he, in that same conversation starts to push his own limits. He think he asked something like, "Am I invincible?" And Douglas like, "Don't push it." You know, <laughs> so well, he's, there's still that like twelve year old nature, right? Kind of yes, being exactly. like, "Wait, am I a superhero now?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's still Matthew, but I think that the way you framed it of agency cat is such a great way to put it. He does finally have a little bit more agency, and that's in a lot of ways parallels to what we see with Jordan in this book too, in in terms of being a dream and finally trying to establish some of her own agency. So I really am looking forward to seeing how those two together at the barns where they're headed at the end of this book, how that's going to work out for them because it's it's really interesting. Oh. I think then if we don't have much more on on Matthew is a good pivot into talking about Declan in this book because it kind of starts off. <sighs> <laughs> I'm just laughing because you couldn't even say his name without like a mini breakdown. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, this is again the power of tasteism in some of my life. Is that I mean, it's Maggie too. She everything Declan in this book is so good and so compelling. But like again, I cannot separate the fact that from day one, Tasha has been like Declan, Declan. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, one of the first things to begin this back half is the scene with Matthew where he figures out that he's a dream, and it's just oh, it's so upsetting for him to be like fuck you, Dad, and he thinks about how. He couldn't blame Ronan for Matthew because he loved Matthew too much. So he's going to blame Niall. And it's just anytime uh, Declan thinks about his dad and how much he hates him really gets to me. It's devastating. Once how helpless he is, like not to care the way that he does. He, 
he's got all this like resentment, but it's totally eclipsed by his love for his brothers. Like, I don't know what it is about this detail. It's not like in the grand scheme of that scene, it's very small. But the fact that he's like, ah, crap, I can't leave Chainsaw. Like, I just can't understand why that breaks me every time. It's so endearing. And he says something like that she was a dustier, realer creature than he normally preferred to handle, particularly in his suit, which is just like... But yet he's like, all right, come on, come along. No, it is so endearing. And that's, they they both have moments, both he and Ronan have moments in this book where they think about how much their brothers mean to to them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. And I I love that so much. It, God, it just. Back to what you were saying about how he has, he's harboring all of this resentment for his father, but you know, it's, it's kind of in battle with, with his love for his family as well. And I feel like that's really kind of perfectly shown in in the scene where he goes to meet the new Fenian, which is just probably my my most heartbreaking just entire chapter of this book because I'm I mean are we're probably assuming right that this is the first time that his quote unquote father has hugged him and told him he's proud of him and the way that Declan can't even really keep it together. Like he's like blinking really fast. He's trying, he's stiffening up and he finally gets this affection from his father, but it's not even really his father. This thing that, that to De- you know, to Declan's perception isn't even a real person. Right. Loves him more than his real father did. Like, ah, yeah. Declan's dream person trauma is no joke. Like yeah. it's, it's oh, a God. lot. It's, it's so hard. What is particularly fascinating to me about that scene with the new Fenian is that it's all from Jordan's perspective. And I love when Maggie does scenes like this where you are outside of the person's POV who's having the biggest emotional moment, but the character whose POV we are in clocks all of it anyway. So yeah. she she thinks about, she sees when the new Fenian hugs him and Declan just like blink, blink, blink. like, And she yeah. like knows what it means to him in that moment. Like, God. So the fact that's one of the things I love about Jordan and Declan is how much she picks up on like who he is and what's important to him. But so seeing it through her eyes and Declan, who is so closed off, still in that moment, like he ha- he lets his emotions through in still a pretty closed off way. But it's enough that she can pick up on it. And it's also that that vulnerability where he's he he's asking you know to see more Cora. And he says something like, does she not want to see me? Oh, my God. Killer. And he's being so vulnerable, but while trying so hard to not be, it's... It's like that just slips out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to say, this is like a tiny side thought, but I I really feel like what you were just talking about, Corinne, is one of my favorite things about Maggie's writing in general, is that I feel like so often in these books the moments that I feel like I really start to love a character is when I see them through the eyes of another character. Like later, this happens for me with like Hennessy and Ronan. And like, it's just, it's a really beautiful trick that she plays, I think over and over again, where it's like, yeah, you like this character, you're invested. And then you see them in the way that another character that cares about them sees them. And it like, totally deepens your understanding of who they are. 100%. So yeah. beautiful how she does that. It's so special. Oh, but like, let's talk while we're here, though, on that scene a little bit more, though, because this mm-hmm. new Finian stuff is 
very fascinating. I mean, it's a heartbreaking scene on the surface level, but then like for plot purposes, there's also some really crunchy stuff going on here, I think. Or he says, I know I'm not a father to you, but you have to know you're my kids to me. I remember when you were this tall. And that got me thinking a lot about like, he says, you're like my kids, like plural to me. So does that it? That does that include Ronan and Matthew? And if so, why would it include Ronan and Matthew? Because presumably, I mean, Morikora, who presumably uh, dreamt the new Fenian, would not have done so if Niall were still in her life. So we know that she is not the mother of Ronan and Matthew. So why, you know, so the new Fenian was dreamt after Declan was born, before Ronan and Matthew were born, because he does say he's been around for 20 years. And yeah. Ronan is only 19. So why would he include Ronan and Matthew in that? Um, or even just Ronan in that? Because it makes sense that he'd be born feeling some sort of connection to Declan, right? Mm-hmm. Or that he'd be dreamt feeling a connection to Declan. So who is this other child? Is this, I mean, is there another child or is it or is it Ronan? So okay. Yes, all of that is a huge question. But I was I was actually just listening to the previous episode and thinking about this. I I assumed on my first and second read, actually, that um, Morikora dreamt the new Fenian. But now I'm actually not so sure because he references having Niall's memories. But if he were Niall's dream, he'd be asleep. Well, but okay, so this... right. But this then, I'm not taking this theory off the table, though. I The more I read this scene, the more I'm like not entirely convinced that it was Morikora because I do think, and this we'll talk about our bride theorizing later, but one of the things that Tasia had brought up was that somehow bride is a dream and he wants to be manifested. Thing. So mm-hmm. what if Morikora somehow figured out a way to do that with a dream of Niles? I'm, I'm just mm. not willing to totally take it off the table because he doesn't deny that he's a copy when Declan says that to him. He's your copy. And he's, he says about how, you know, he has different stories than Niles. I, I still am not entirely willing to take it off the table, especially in a series or in a book that has focused so heavily on the idea of copies of Hennessy dreaming copies of herself. We get this chapter where Ronan talks about the copy of himself that he brought back. So I think it probably is more Cora, but there's just a lot here that I wouldn't be surprised. It's interesting because we have the only examples we have of copies that have the memories of the person they're supposed to be is when they're a copy of the dreamer. But then doesn't that doesn't you're right logically track with Niall because he should be asleep except we have seen one of Niall's dreams not fall asleep when he dies yeah yeah so if Aurora stayed for a while she stayed awake for three days and then after that she was asleep and then she had to go to Cabe's water to be awake Mm -hmm. I mean I feel like if they knew a way to keep a dreamer or a dream awake then that would have solved this plot already. Like that's one of the main plots of this series. So if that was already solved, then what are we doing? That's true. I I don't know. I still very Mm -hmm. much feel like it was more core, more core or somebody else, just not Niall. I also briefly flirted with the idea that it could have been a very young Ronan because I remember he Mm. saw that picture of his, of his father young, which is the age that the young Fenian seems to be stuck in and said that he was afraid of it. And so maybe he did it, but then he, the new Fenian has still been around for longer than Ronan has. So that doesn't really too. track either. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't just, know. I don't know either. I just feel like we don't have a, this scene is also very interesting for the information that we get in and then don't get about Morikora and Boudicca. So Morikora is not 
all of Boudicca. She's not the head of Boudicca because the Newfoundland says, you know, I'll say you didn't show and more I'll make sure that they buy that. Mm-hmm. So what is Boudicca? We still have really no clue about it. How do they interplay with Bride? Do they have information that Bride wants but hasn't been able to access for some reason? I don't know. So I agree that that this, if if someone out there knew how to keep dreams awake, yes, it would take away a lot of like the plot stuff here. But what if 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 Boudicca has some source of that knowledge already? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm just I again the what I want to do on this podcast is throw out absolute garbage <laughs> theories. <laughs> yeah, we were saying earlier right. we're just kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. I'm yeah. On record. Totally. I mean, I look forward to being uh, wildly wrong on the record many times today. Um, But yeah, it's interesting because you're right. It is a huge plot pivot point that we like, we have a lot of people who desperately want to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also have like a mysterious shadowy force that everyone's being encouraged not to interact with. And it would be interesting if interacting with that force because they have essential knowledge to the people we love in these series, like that is also... A potential yeah. for for conflict in the future that's yeah. a really good point too uh, man so much i don't i just don't know i get like overwhelmed about it if i think about it too much because <laughs> i don't know the answer it like, kind of yeah. bothers me that i can't logic it out and i think that's the brilliance of this story and it's so fun to think about it because i just really truly have no idea but it also bothers me on like a, a more basic level because I want to figure it out. Well, so since she tends to like seed it in and then later you're like, oh, so oh God, she can't see this. Yeah. That's where we're fully wearing our tinfoil hats, just trying to like yeah. overly dissect every single word <laughs> in this book, <laughs> trying to figure out what's coming. Absolutely. Uh, that's a really good, yeah. Maggie, look what you've done to us. Um, <laughs> I also, though, briefly in that chapter, want to point out how when the new Kenyan says that he's proud of Declan. Jordan thinks her dauntless Declan, which is what Aurora th- says to him right before she passes away or goes to sleep the first time. And I just, that hurts me too. And and I and I what I really like about that that you in retrospect is you know we've talked before about Aurora as a a mother to Declan and some of the pitfalls and uh, of that given that we knew in a sense, we assume she knew that Declan was not her child that she gave birth to. And the fact that Jordan, who we've talked about has a very innate knowledge of Declan from the beginning uses that phrase shows that Aurora, I think had a really good understanding of Declan too, and cared for him a lot too. And other things about Declan though, that I want to talk about, there's two like really, beautiful passages I think that bookend this set of chapters that really just make me upset too but like are beautifully and they like illustrate his arc in this back half the first is towards the the beginning of the set of chapters where he thinks about how he had this dream and it was like very a boring dream he called it he's just like applying sunscreen and um, he thinks a boring dream better than the dream he'd had before, better than the dream of him standing on the dark lady's sandy carry shore and feeling seen, truly seen, exposed, watched from the high rocks and from the sky, better than the dream of him stepping into that aqua water one foot and then another and then another and then beginning to swim and then diving and then swimming so deep that the sunlight stopped piercing the water and he became invisible in the depths. If he had Ronan's ability, would he have woken up erased? Which, fuck me up, Maggie Seawater. So upsetting. <laughs> 
<laughs> that that's what Declan wants. But then at the end, when Matthew's like, I want to, I want to fight. I want to know what the answers were. Declan thinks Declan was powerless to deny Matthew a thing he wanted anyway, but it was more than that. It was that he had given up everything and gotten nothing for it in return. It was that he wasn't a dreamer and he wasn't a dream and he couldn't be human. There was nothing left, just a turquoise ocean with no sign that he'd ever been seen. Something had to change. So for him to like move from thinking that he could just be erased and kind of just like, well, guess I'll just be erased to no, something needs to change is just... This is what Maggie excels in. I mean, it's, yeah. it's beautiful mm-hmm. stuff. It's and that's why I love this because I mean, and we'll talk about it later with uh, you know our get into our favorite arcs and stuff. But the thing is, in this book, which is the first book of a trilogy, everybody has such a good arc. Like everybody goes. Yeah. I mean, they start at point A. Everybody ends up at a completely different point, and I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's it's so good. One other brief Declan moment that I love though is he with several moments in this back half too where he thinks about how he kind of likes the Nile side of things. He likes the criminal Mm -hmm. underworld. It feels a little dangerous. And he thinks at one point it was like dabbling in his father's criminal machinations. He could tell there was a large part of him that secretly liked that. I like dangerous Declan. Mm -hmm. And it manifests itself. And I guess then we can talk about George Declan now while we're here. It comes out when he is with Jordan. I think he thinks that scene where he's like, trespassing isn't something Declan Lynch does. And then he's like, Doing it. Here we go. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of the uh, Gansey on fire that shows up to the Gansey and Blue yes. late night driving dates. Mm-hmm. It's very, yeah. very reminiscent of that. Yeah. Those are oh. her best pairings where mm-hmm. you have characters who are really struggling against their true natures and like pairings where they draw it out of each other. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really special. I love that. Uh, Jordan has picked up on Declan's love of telling stories and that she not only indulges in that, but she, she encourages it. She's like, Oh, I know you have a story for this. Like, tell me, come on. And then what happened? I love, I think it's just so, I think it's so sweet. I think it's, ah, I I don't really. You brought up exactly what I was really talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause what I, what I love about that is how, um, how much he loves storytelling. And then we know from Ronan's point of view that this is something that he shares with their father. And so it's interesting that it's like, there's so much, there's so much damage and resentment and trauma in that relationship that he can't, like he can't afford to embrace parts of himself that he sees as being connected to his father, even when they're like the good parts of his father that he's inherited. So I think it's really special that like in those moments with Jordan, you see this passion that he has and kind of know that probably part of the reason he hides it is because he can't untangle it from his feelings about his father, even though it's like a wonderful thing about him. Yeah, absolutely. And and we've broken Corinne. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love the, the whole repression attic. Like, Uh, first of all, that scene in the kitchen when he makes her the latte and then he, uh, uh, like she's sitting on the counter. I I can't with that. And then she's like, let me, let me see the real you, you know? And he thinks about it for like half a second. And then he takes her up to his like, here's my crying attic. Um, but it's just, it's full of all this. It's just, and that's where he finds out that she's a dream. And that moment where he's just like, ah, he didn't have it in him to love another dreamer mm-hmm. or another dream. I mean, it's mm-hmm. yeah, a lot. <laughs> I don't have words for it. Um, I also really love the scenes 
uh, or I love that they both have moments too, where they think about how they've never really lived. Jordan thinks at one point how she's never lived her own life. And then Declan also thinks when the moderators are coming for Matthew and he's freaking out that the world was broken, it was broken and cannot be fixed. And I have never actually lived either. So it's, they're both on this path together of getting to be their true selves and that just it really works for me but yeah uh they're both these scenes are really hot the scene where she paints him in the dark is very erotic um <laughs> all of the it, hands on the bellies like very steamy. Oh, under very the sweater it's, yeah I, and i just am like god what do Declan lynch's abs feel <laughs> <laughs> Corinne and I have had very, <laughs> a very thirsty Declan uh, DM for a while yeah. now. Because, so, like, in these books, do you? Yes. Like, wh- who has internal organs and how much <laughs> thinking about <laughs> lattes and bellies do you do? Yeah. Well, and here's where, like, Paige and I landed. It's like, okay, obviously, we love the characters in the main series a lot, but and they are teenagers in a lot of ways. And like, yeah, we're Adam and Ronan trash, but like, I don't, I, I'm not like into them for me. Like, yeah, I just exactly. love them together. I'm happy for them when they have their sexy moments. Like, it's kind of like you're my kids, but also like, get it, boys. I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, for like Declan, he's not that much older, but like, for, I'm just like, no, I have a crush on Declan Lynch. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah, 100% real. Not only, <laughs> not only is he an adult on paper, he's also just, he has grown up so fast right. that like, you know, as much as it is, it is something that Ronan makes fun of him about. It is also true where like, he just seems like an He's, old yeah, man he already. Does seem a lot very of mature. Yes. Yeah. And it's just like Gansey said in the Raven boys, like we love him broken. He's broken. And mm-hmm. for some reason that makes him that much hotter to me, which for is, sure. I don't know what it says about me, but here we are. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I was just, as we were having this conversation, making a connection for myself and my brain, which is interesting about, I, so I love this character and feel very connected to him. And I realized uh, as we were talking that I, it's for a really similar reason, which I did not, I talked about to you guys and you couldn't hear me and I was just listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. but <laughs> not on the podcast <laughs> is it's a similar reason to why I actually love Gansey so much, which is, I think that they are both, they've chosen to, their exteriors are very different, but they're both people who are highly traumatized and they're processing it by really trying to control their environments and like take care of and control the people around them. And like such a, a good hard point. time fitting into roles other than the ones which they have decided are safe for them. And like, I don't know, I, that's kind of my, my personal, like, You're absolutely oh, no, right. this is how my brain works is that it's like a bad thing happened. You're afraid it's going to keep happening and you have to like fix it. You have to anticipate it and, mm-hmm. you know, and like keep these people safe by being the right thing for them. Right. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's a really relatable form of trauma, yeah. I guess. And that's, and that's yeah. a really that's a really great point too. And I, you know, I've cried a lot about Gansey on this podcast too. And <laughs> but I think what it makes Declan in a way like almost more special is that Maggie has been very vocal about this trick she played with Declan of I you really only see him through Ronan's POV in a lot yeah. of the main series. And it's very intentionally obfuscating the true Declan. Whereas Gansey Everyone loves Gansey. It's, yeah, exactly. It, it drips from the pages of the Raven Cycle. 
we don't get that with Eklund. So then to come to this series and actually get to see it and to see him through Jordan's eyes, which is great, but also we get a lot more moments of just Ronan softening towards him too. All of that combines to make it somehow feel like even more of an emotional punch than the Gansey stuff because we've been primed to dislike Declan where we are primed yeah. to love Gansey. And it's just... Oh, it's almost a reverse arc. Like you start loving, you start out with how charismatic Gansey is and only in the end of the series do you go, oh, buddy, you're not okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, and then in, with Declan, it's the opposite where you're like, who is this asshole? And then later you're like, oh, buddy. Yeah, no, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're also not okay. Yeah. But you, don't, you start with like uh, no interiority with Declan in a way that yeah. means you don't learn to love him. You know, It is a great magic trick she pulls. And we're talking about parallels to book uh, or to the Raven Cycle or the Raven Boys. We remember in the Raven Boys, when Robert Parrish was uh, attacking his son and Ronan was supposed to be leaving, he stops and he comes back and he uh, beats the shit out of Robert Parrish. And the mm-hmm. same shit happens in this one where Declan goes to drop uh, Jordan off and mm-hmm. senses something wrong, comes back and has to uh, save her in like a not quite similar situation, but yeah, in, in an attack. And I love that. I love that parallel between the two of them. And it's also very much like, get you a lynch bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like, fuck Niall Lynch for all the trauma he inflicted on his children, but teaching them to fight is coming in handy here. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do really appreciate that. Um, but let's also briefly give it up for Jordan, who is a real top tier flirt too. She says at one point to Declan when they're driving before they trespass, and she goes, how do you feel about being the first Jordan Hennessy original? And I was like, I don't know if this is just the lingering effect of Titanic on my brain. Like, but like, if someone's going to like draw someone, is it just like going to be sexy in my mind? Like, it was very much a draw me like one of your French girls. Yeah, is it inherently like one of your French girls? Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know. Listen, like, would the my... scene have been better if Declan had said that? Maybe. <laughs> but it's like, am I just always going to be like real into people like drawing or painting each other for the rest of my life now. Listen, like, Titanic happened at a formative time. Man, <laughs> art we all... would be really dangerous for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. God, good thing I have no artistic ability whatsoever. Check out our Twitter header, which is a stick figure drawing that I drew. It's not good, everybody. So it's I'm great. Everybody, danger. please check it out. <laughs> it's art. It's art. Uh, something art. Capital A art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that that was a great moment for her. Yeah, I, I really was like a lot about it. She, I also love too, and Hennessy gets this too, and it's, it really shows how Jordan and Hennessy are the same way, but they have this very sarcastic dry humor that makes me laugh a lot. Uh, when she says to him at one point, sorry, it's a bit of a jog. I hope you have your Crocs. Like, it's just <laughs> of course, everyone doesn't have Crocs. It's just <laughs> savage burns all day with mm-hmm. those girls. So, I really love it. <laughs> great. I, I love that a lot. But yeah, the number of times he thinks that, like, don't fall in love with this girl. Mm-hmm. She, like, spouts off a couple of art facts and he's just, like, head over heels. Too late. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, This is also a small moment, too, that I didn't really clock the first time. But at the end, when she doesn't want to leave Hennessy and they're going to go to the barns and the chapter ends with him saying, I'll let you drive. I just love that because... <laughs> 
He thinks earlier about how she put the car into gear with the thoughtless certainty of someone who had been in cars so often they were just another part of their body. And like he let her drive, which feels like a real, you know, giving of control to her. We see how he doesn't want Ronan to drive earlier and so that he can let her drive and it allows him time to just kind of stare out the window and think which he never really gets to do i just like love how everything with them in cars has worked out and that he realizes for her that that's going to be like calming for her is really nice driving is very cathartic for me i really like it it's a time for me to like process my thoughts so i I like that he picks up on that as something that might be helpful to jordan yeah the way they've clocked each other just so i mean so early in their acquaintance is is really impressive. Yeah, they they like immediately recognize in each other that sort of suppression of self, I think, that mm-hmm. is the thing they both have to move through. So let's talk about Jordan. I continue to love everything about Jordan in the in these books. The fight with her and Hennessy at the at the tattoo shop. Like insert that Meryl Streep gift where she like stands up and like claps and points at whatever award show. Like that's me in that moment. I'm just like very proud. <laughs> of Jordan at that time it's a great moment for her yeah and especially because she's like you can see how done she is with Hennessy's making it a joke you know because at a certain point you're not going to like sarcastic your way out of this you're not going to dry humor your way out of this like this Mm -hmm. is like they're at the end of the road like literally the end of the road there and uh the way that Hennessy and this is this is something that I I don't like about Hennessy, but again, I think it's because it's one of those things where I'm looking into a mirror whose reflection I do not like. Um, but she's she's very defeatist and she's very um like when when they're in the like this kind of moving on to Hennessy, sorry, but uh when they're in Lindenmere and Ronan is like, you're not trying and he is, he's going too hard on her. He's he's going a little bit too hard on the tough love stuff, but He's also sort of right because I think even though she says she is trying and maybe she is to the extent of her her own like emotional abilities, but he's right. Like she's not really trying, I think, because she has already given up. She's just doing this kind of to go through the motions. And she she just lets she's kind of, I think, used to just in her own nature, kind of like settling in for the wallowing of the thing instead of like trying to get out of it. She likes to be there in the dirt a little bit. I think she's, she's very reminiscent of like early, uh, dream thieves Ronin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Self-destructive tendencies. Yeah. It's that same phenomena that I love so much where like Hennessy is such a difficult character. And then as you see her through Ronan's eyes, she just like, for me personally, totally like blossoms because yeah. I've already, gone through all this with Ronan, right? Like, and then you see him recognize this kinship with her and have both tough love and a lot of compassion. Yeah. And like, oh, when he says, don't let me be the only one. Oh God. Well, and and it's true. Like there's that scene quite near the end where, yeah, like that scene, exactly what you're talking about, where she says, sort of thinks something to the effect of like, he said he was alone, but she thought he wasn't, except that like, she she understood the way in yeah. which they would always be and it's like yeah that you you only really see Hennessy through the eyes of her girls and mm-hmm. they don't even though they are her on some level they don't understand her and Ronan understands yeah. that that particular thing that yeah only they have in common and yeah yeah it makes her much more uh vulnerable to you as the reader I think right. mm-hmm. yeah totally 
And I love that that comes on the heels of Jordan calling her out. I mean, we, there's lots of stuff in this book about how Jordan Hennessey were the tightest, obviously Jordan's the original copy and was Hennessy's best friend. Hennessy thinks that later. So for Jordan to have that moment where she does yell at her at Hennessy in the tattoo shop being like, he's a dreamer. Like he is the one who can help you. So then mm-hmm. to, to see Hennessy get to that point by the end with Ronan is, was, is really nice. I like that mm-hmm. it comes. Yeah. Hennessy makes that choice, but like Jordan pushes her and I, I like too. There's a lot more to in the back half of like rumination on the differences between Hennessy and the copies, but also like rumination on who Hennessy would have been if she'd never split herself. If all these things didn't happen, would she still be this messed up person? In that particular paragraph, I can't remember. It says something about like spilling vodka on like the gravestone, or, like it was something like that. It's, it's very fatalistic. But then by the end, we see that she is more willing to accept the possibility of looking into who she can be on her own separate from the copies yeah I, it's just uh in the scenes that make me cry at work uh category <laughs> um, is when she when she opens her hand in linden mirror and there's that little spark of hope like it's she's just this tightly wound ball of defense mechanism and like the bravest thing you've that she's ever done is decide to be vulnerable to hoping that she could change something and like that's it's so powerful and it's like it just it almost feels like it just totally comes out of left field at the end of the book where you're just like oh shit I'm really crying over Hennessy now like yeah she's been cool and fun but frustrating this whole time and then she just kind of like digs deep and you go there with her Awesome. I love that. Gave me and I'm so excited for I her. Know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm really excited for more of her. We get great stuff with Hennessy in this back. That scene with her and Ronan in the diner is really, yes. it's <laughs> great on so many levels. I'm having his baby is just great. <laughs> I, lo- I love Ronan's immediate response. Like he's like, so anyway, my boyfriend, yeah. like, <laughs> he knows, he knows she was just being a shit, but just in case, like he needs to drop that he's got a boyfriend and yeah. he's psychic by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there's just great humorous moments with her and, and you get more of an injection of like who her own personality is because Ronan's bringing that out in her. He, they have like kind of silent, like look conversations, which I like Mm -hmm. uh, because it's, it's nice that again, he, Ronan has an ability to see through and like cut through the bullshit on a lot of things. And I like that. I like, he thinks at one point too, about her, that the, Cowardice was better than the lies because there's things that fear is something that's hard to overcome, something like that. And it's just like, those are those dream thieves lessons coming through. Ronan Lynch is imparting them on someone else. Well, and you see, it's like... I would never have believed that I'd be sitting here saying Ronan Lynch is really so much more emotionally open. Um, (laughs) But like, he really has in this book, this once he's worked through some of the issues that he's been having in the past books, like he really comes into this book as this very still like, you know, shitty and sarcastic in the best possible way, but like very loving and fairly open person. And you can see him just kind of see right through the bullshit with Hennessy. And one of my favorite moments that is sort of about their connection in the whole book is right at the end when, they're taught they're saying like what do you what do you hope bride will be like 
and they both have these <laughs> like very, very like <laughs> um, she wants him to be sexy <laughs> in her, yeah, in her like uh, ho- like conversations with himself, and you see her like really being like, God, can I afford to hope? Blah blah blah, and then mm-hmm. she says, Yeah, sexy as hell, and you just see Ronan completely understand like that yeah. Yeah. is exactly what he would say <laughs> you know yeah. like I just have to be not serious right now because I can't handle it <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love their friendship too because I mean we know that Ronan is very slow to make friends and when he does it is like to the end of the road kind of mm-hmm. shit there is no there are no half measures with Ronan Lynch and and I love it too because we've seen Adam go off to college and make his own little community of queer of other queer kids mm-hmm Ronan is doing that too. Like we know that he's growing up thinking that, you know, he's the only gay kid in the world, not really knowing any other queer people. And here he's befriending this uh, queer black woman. And I love that for him. I love that for, for him knowing more about the world and for him opening himself to other people and developing a really close friendship with a woman, because we've seen him only do that with one other girl. We didn't get that much of it in uh the raven cycle we know eventually that he he and blue got very close but we didn't see a whole lot of it on on page mm-hmm. and we're getting to see that here with hennessy and i'm i'm really happy for it you yeah. mean sargento as yes. sargento <laughs> <laughs> isn't that a cheese so it is a cheese um <laughs> one of the things too that i really liked about the Ronan and hennessy stuff too in light of something we talked about last week with joy in and kind of piggybacking off of exactly what you just said Tasha, about the crying club and how adam has this this his own crew of queer kids but it, we it, joy made the excellent point which i can't get over is the idea that adam is actually emulating ronan in a lot of ways by mm-hmm. taking on all these people who need him and yes here in this book ronan is sent to find hennessy by bride and we'll talk and speculate incorrectly i'm sure about bride's motivations <laughs> later in the podcast but he does not hesitate to say, yes, I would help a dreamer who is dying. And yes, he does want to team up with Bride and find out what Bride knows. But at his core, he is someone who wants to help someone. And yes, he doesn't want to be alone anymore, which he talks about, but he wants to to help Hennessy. And I love, I love seeing that from him. It's great. Yeah, he doesn't even think it's a choice. You know, it's that, what is mm-hmm. it, the throw his heart in and then follow kind of thing? It's, yeah, yeah that's that is who he is, says, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so good. I guess I do have one more Jordan thought. Again, just going back to this idea of her and Hennessy finally kind of branching out onto their own path by the end of this book. You know, one of the early quotes in this back half from Jordan is, why do you only paint what other people have painted? Declan Lynch had asked because her brush had already come preloaded with someone else's palette. So then for the end, you know, again, going back to that tattoo parlor scene, by the end that chapter ends for the first time, she was very, very sure that she and Hennessy were living two different lives. So I love to see them, this continuing separation for them to try to figure out who that they can be independent of each other. We love to see it. So let's, I guess, then pivot to more of the Ronin stuff in this back half. I mean, we covered a lot of it, which is his relationship with Hennessy here and how that works for him. But again, we what really strikes me in this back half is still this idea of loneliness and how that's affecting Ronin. I'm just going to read this quote that uh, makes me want to 
to cry. Actually, do you, ca- do you have this in your, your spoon section? Oh, I do, but it's fine. I have two, which is cheating. So go ahead and do it. Now. No, no. Well, well, it's well, like, we always have, we, all, it, so it's yeah, please. there's no limit to the swoon on this. <laughs> we're podcast. happy. We're happy we cheaters here. Yeah. I was trying to get my spoons this week and I'm like, all the spoons are kind of morbid for me in this book, but okay. Yeah. This yeah. is not as much of a, I mean, isn't a, that Maggie's like Maggie's whole brand though? Like yeah. <laughs> even her swoons are just kind of dark and melancholy. Yeah. I love it. So, like, he's dreamt this security system for the barns that is supposed to be, like, horrific and horrifying, and it does not trudge up for him any of the actual trauma that he's had, like, many of the times he's nearly died, or, like, his friends have nearly died. Instead, it was every time Ronan had been alone, there was no gore, no shrilling with terror. There was only the quiet that came after all those things. There was only the quiet that came when you were the only one left. Only the quiet that came when you were something strange enough to out-survive the things that killed or drove away everyone you loved. Like, I... I uh, it, like I'm devastated by that line. I can't even tell you. Okay. And like, um, I want to see then what your guys' thoughts were on Ronan's growth in like arc in this back half, because in a lot of ways it is really compelling for him to at the end feel like he's been so limited by his world and he's going to dream bigger than that. But I can't help but be concerned about how that comes from Bride. Yeah. I actually feel like, to me, like, I I love how Ronan is written in this book because you get so much, like, his warmth is so much more apparent because of the growth he's gone through in the previous books. Mm-hmm. But I actually don't think that this is a super good arc for him as far as, like, his safety and health. Like, I think he's starting out depressed and then getting obsessed with something. And mm-hmm. the connection he makes with Hennessy is awesome. And like, I think very, very good and exciting, but I sort of see this more as him being really depressed, feeling kind of left behind and then getting super wrapped up in something that I'm afraid yeah. is manipulating him. I think that's absolutely true. I think his friendship with Hennessy is his only like port of safety here in this, mm-hmm. in this obsession with bride and probably the only thing that will eventually be able to pull him out of it. And that's what worries me is that he's getting so tangled up in this bride thing. I absolutely do not trust that bitch. Um, <laughs> there, there is nothing good coming from that. Uh, but he obviously needed this to kind of pull himself out of that just deep depression that he was in, in the beginning after the the Harvard thing. So I'm really concerned for, first of all, how long it's going to take for him to realize that bride is not who he or bride's motivations are not where Ronan would like to be and how long it's going to take for him to untie himself from that. Because we know that as, as I've already mentioned that Ronan, once he makes those connections, it's very hard to sever them. Right. Oh, well, he just doesn't question. Like there's so many times when the people around him are like, Hey buddy, why is this guy trying to help you? And like, what is he getting out of this? And Ronan being a sweet cinnamon roll is like, why wouldn't he be trying to save me? Right. Like, that's what I do for people. Of yeah. Course he's, of course he's good. And it's like, oh my God, I forgot how naive you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll talk about Adam in a second here and where the hell he is. But one, I vacillate between pure terror about where Adam is and then sometimes thinking like, is he just coming back to the barns for break? Like what happened during I that? I have almost long- exactly that <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> like too. It's yeah, that's absolutely but, it. Like how long is he is he just how long were they in Lindemere? We know that plays with time. But like the reason maybe I think that he is not in a particularly bad spot, maybe, is because it just builds the suspense for Maggie. But also I just feel like it's she just needed to sideline him because you know, we need Ronan to have to go with Bride at the end of the book. And the only other real resistance to Bride besides Adam, who was very skeptical of Bride, was Declan. And we have that scene in the diner where Ronan is like, don't tell me not to go after him. Like, don't tell me that, Declan. And Declan at that point is so worn down. He's got Matthew just having a total existential crisis on one hand. And everyone's coming after his family. And he's worn down, I think, at the to the point where he's like, we'll do whatever it takes to find things out. So I think, you know, maybe that's just why Adam is just MIA briefly from Maggie's standpoint, because we need, he would be the only one who's like, mm-hmm. don't go with yeah. pride. Narrative, he needs to be away. Yeah. Right. And, and then it could be something as simple as him just being on the motorcycle. You can't text while you're mm-hmm. on a motorcycle. Totally. And it could set him up to be, to have some kind of slightly unlikely pairing to try and help from the outside where you've mm-hmm. got like, bride etc and then you have the hunters and then adam and someone right and if somebody's going to figure this out it's adam right yeah and we know that adam uh has that watch that tells him the time wherever ronan is in the world and we know that ronan and hennessy took off with bride to god knows where Mm -hmm. and maybe adam will be able to help figure some of that out just knowing where in time yeah uh ronan is Uh, yeah so I'm like currently today, as we are recording this, I'm like feeling better about where Adam is. <laughs> it could check with me tomorrow. It could change because yeah, I'm very it's, nervous. It's all over the place because I do I do exactly that too. I vacillate wildly between the two because on the one hand, I'm like it's completely logical that he just needed to be gone for this and that he's on his motorcycle on his way back to the barns and he's going to show up and be like, God, Ronan, I told you to be, to be here when I came back. On the other hand, I know that. Uh, the, the last thing him. that happened, the lace saw him and Adam has not been heard of since. And yeah. that oh, is still like in the back of my head, w- whispering in my ear every time I start to feel safe about Adam Parrish. And we know he's going to be okay. We know he's getting POVs going forward. Like he's alive. He's not dead. But like in what state? I don't know. Right. Um, POVs, I'm really excited for Matthew's POV. I think yeah, it's too. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of um, Ronan's softness, though, I would like to speak briefly about Ronan. (laughs) (laughs) Mitch Plant, which Gansey asked him to watch after as they go on the road trip. But Ronan does not know how to take care of an indoor plant, so he dreamt it its own light. (sighs) I just... (laughs) Look... (laughs) Kayla is holding her eyes as though she's keeping tears at bay. Kat just <laughs> looked out the window and dissociated. <laughs> just so y'all can see, visualize what just happened amongst the three of us. It's just such a, it's just such a like gathering of all of the sweet, sweet things from the series into one moment. Mm-hmm. Other Ugh. moments that I would briefly like to discuss about Ronan before we get into like bride dream stuff later. Again, we talked a lot about copies already, but we get some moments where Ronan is thinking about the copy he dreamt in Blue Lily Lily Blue when he was trying to find all the stuff to blackmail Colin Greenmantle. And 
as if that scene was not horrifying on its own, Ugh. as you read it in blue, blue, the fact that we find out that the copy was aware in the dream and tells Ronan to get. I mean, imagine out that don't is let Jordan. it be for nothing. Right. It could be Jordan. Yeah, exactly. God. That's I that's totally something I thought about this time around too. I was like, oh my, like that was a fully conscious like human being, essentially. Yeah. That was just like, I'm about to I am existing in this moment just to die. Oh my God. Well, How it's just horrible. like the copy in the bathroom, yeah. you know, that like mm-hmm. that that instant understanding and that copy that, to save that, that sense that she exists yeah. to save Hennessy. And like and Jordan said, yeah. she had only lived a nightmare. And that was oh it. My oh my god. <laughs> so anyway, RIP to the Ronin copy. I was already <laughs> upset and now I'm really upset about it. I'm having another one of those covered in goosebumps moments and it's not a happy one. No. One other chapter though I really want to talk about is the complete emotional devastation for me of when Ronan and Hennessy finally get to Declan's townhouse and he has sent the demon dogs there. And he does not know if Declan and Matthew are going to be okay. And he thinks about how he was always the one to find his dead family members. It didn't seem fair. And he thinks about how he like doesn't want that for Matthew or Declan, but he was just like, why? And he thinks about like thinking about how this is maybe the last moment of the before. And it, again, like Maggie, leave the Lynch brothers alone. And a nice moment really of levity upsetting. in that scene, though, when Ronan hands the bottle of the <laughs> yeah. sun dogs to Matt, and he's like, here you go, kid. Don't say I never did anything for you. And Declan is like, excuse you. This is like handing <laughs> like, a loaded idiot? gun to a baby. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, please put this somewhere else. Yeah, I'm really, I have no theories about what the demon dogs could do, but they're... I actually have Ooh. a tiny bit of background to this is that I, when I first read this series, when I first read the, uh, the Raven Boys series, I had a moment in our little podcast community when I was talking to you guys about reading it where I'm like oh was I a Gansey when I was a kid because I was deeply obsessed with whales and Welsh kings and like (laughs) traveled on account of that and stuff so I actually have a really nerdy Celtic mythology thought about this which have you guys ever heard of um Hearn the Hunter no Mm -hmm. um he was a like sort of a minor god who's very kind of like animalistic and associated with magic but there is this there's this thing called the wild hunt mm-hmm. which is like the hounds of Hearn the hunter if i'm remembering this correctly i should have researched it before no. i came on this podcast <laughs> but yeah there's there's sort of this um this pack of mythological dogs that this demigod uses to sort of chase like um damned souls across the night sky kind of thing and they're black dogs with like red eyes and red mouths and red ears and they totally reminded me of this moment of like our sort of dreamer demigod summoning the wild hunt to me i was like oh my god this totally feels like i love that ancient irish mythology (laughs) that's i bet that was intentional yeah i mean we know maggie loves this type of celtic i mean she wrote the scorpio races and Mm -hmm. obviously it's a big thing here oh wow I'm sure I, I love made, the implication like, mythology there. soup there. It's probably yeah. not <laughs> the correct combination of things, but there is no, I love a it. reference. Yeah. That's great. Um, oh, I also right. love I love the implication there that Ronan is a demigod because we've already we know that he is extra dreamer. Mm-hmm. And my theory for that is that his mother was a dream. And so he's got a little bit of a little bit of extra dream stuff in him. So he is kind of like yeah. half dream, half dreamer. He's a demigod. Yeah. I love that. Before I think we 
get into the, I think we're almost at the precipice of our theorizing wild crazy <laughs> section here, but I guess to backtrack to literally like the first chapter that we read here, which is, is Adam scrying and finding the lace, which I think in some ways we did because we wanted to make sure we could still talk about Adam and pinch because that's the, the people we are like, why is everything pinched in this book? Just so upsetting to me. This is like, have to say his thoughts on Adam leaving make me really upset. He missed him acutely, even when he was looking at him. The birthday line in Latin, I don't know if you guys Googled what it is. It's just like how <laughs> like awful it is to be without Adam on your birthday is essentially the kind of what it's. <laughs> I actually I, didn't Google it because I was pretty sure you guys were going to, and I sort of wanted to have an emotional breakdown in the moment. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's something like that. It's a quote from something, and he changes the word to have it be like Adam versus like whatever the mm-hmm. name in the quote is, which is really upsetting. Those um, were so extra. That's exactly what I was about to say. Um, let's also talk briefly about the fact that Adam is management in all caps. And <laughs> I love that. But okay, Kat, here's a very important question for you mm. that Tasia and I have debated. Okay. We've also debated it like off pod with Joy when she was before she was on last week. Okay, the last chapter before this episode ended on the line I'm hungry, I need to eat, I need to take your clothes off. But first, I need to take a look at Bride. Mm. So then he scries. And he sees the lace, and it's terrifying. He has three hours at the Barnes total. Mm-hmm. Do you think <laughs> Ronan and Adam still got it in? Before oh my died? God, you guys! <laughs> <laughs> oh geez, um, best possible reaction to that question. <laughs> I don't know that I have it in me to speculate about this on the record on a podcast. Um, <laughs> I guess I just, for them, I hope that they had as much uh, quality time together as possible within the confines of this book. That's that's my <laughs> my diplomacy. I have a semi-related question. Ronan does bring up a few times that he and Adam meet each other in dream space sometimes. Do they get freaky in dream space? Yes or no? You guys, are you? <laughs> it feels like an attack. <laughs> I'm saying you yes. Never posed that question to me either. So you're not alone on this one, Kat. Um, <laughs> sure. I I like anything that Ronan and Adam like. I am there for them if that's mm-hmm. what they they like. I like I like that for them. I want that for them. I want that for them. Um, this is my thought on whether or not they were able to have some. I'm after that. Joy, actually, I think I'm going to quote her from off the pot. I think she's like, well, they're like 19 years old. Like, you know, the refractory. There is no mood like, killer. The ability to like jump in and like overcome trauma is probably higher than like us and our 30s being contemplated at this point. But this is what Ronan thinks when he thinks that it struck Ronan then that he didn't want him to go for many reasons, beginning with the bad feeling of that scream. So that's when Adam cried. Proceeding through the way his body would miss Adams when he curled in bed. And finishing with the knowledge that something big and unknown lurked out there, unable, unseeable to his dreamer's eyes, seeable to Adam's uncanny one. So, like, I feel like that's a canon confirmation if you look through the timeline of things there that they were able to have a little moment before it. Yeah, I'll co-sign that. So, cool. Well, and thank you, Kat, for coming down into the gutter with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> um, I guess then... We should talk then briefly about Carmen and Parsifal, who again are like a third of this 
not a third of this book, but what is the part of this book? And we never really talk about them, but this is a good way to set up our theorizing section, I think, because RIP to parts, well, a really touching cough death scene. Death I don't, theme. I don't know what it is. You guys, like I, I added, I think I had Parsifal as my favorite arc in this, which I don't even know if that's true. It, it's just because <laughs> I am so obsessed with this character. I don't know why, but I, he is a sweet baby angel. I'm obsessed the way with. he tried to push Carmen away, like he'd like intentionally getting snippy about everything and, and then doing that. I'm, I'm tired of you. And just because he was trying to protect her from like mm-hmm. seeing this end. And then at the end when he's, you know, I, I, I wasn't tired. I'm not tired of you. Oh, that line. Oh, Parsifal. Just- he's, he's a teenager. Thank you. That's a kid. And he's like splintered at that point. So like we learn that visionaries, when they have their visions, they like kind of shift through time through different versions of themselves. And then we get more of that with Liliana in this back half. So he's like stuck between like two ages of himself. And it's just, it's absolutely horrifying. Uh, But I, it is really upsetting. And I like to, where we kind of see Carmen go. We talked about this last week. I don't think we're quite there with her yet in this book, but obviously like we're in for a reckoning and more of an arc with Carmen to eventually just say fuck all to the moderators and be on the the side of good here. But I I liked this quote in particular, just kind of sums up where I think she was going. What did she believe? She believed something bad was coming to the world and she believed she knew where it was coming from generally. She believed most people didn't get a chance to make a difference. She believed that she did. She believed that she didn't know what else she would be doing now if she wasn't doing this. She believed deep down inside that that wasn't really enough to believe in and that made her even angrier. So I like where that is pushing her in the direction. She meets Liliana who Parsifal, one of his like last words is like this vision is important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, someone important to you is what he says. And we do get the sense that Liliana knows her. has been mm-hmm. looking for her. I'll follow you anywhere. Dreamy line from Liliana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very excited for the future of uh, Carmen and Liliana. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not there with Carmen by the end of this book where I'm like, yeah, I love you all in on you where I'm mm-hmm. at with basically every other character in this book. But I'm, I'm ready. I'll, yeah, I I'll think... Carmen is going to have to continue to develop for me, but I, I will say I'm warmer on her than I would otherwise be just because the kind of just little bottle story of her and Parsifal in this book is one of my favorite parts of the book. Like I really, really love their dynamic and kind of how much you get a sense of their natures with very little information about either of them. Um, Yeah. I'm not, I'm not over <laughs> it being us, us leaving Parsifal behind because I don't know. There was, yeah. I mean, it's we great. all, we all love broken things, right? Like it's part of why we love these books so much and man, that like extreme loss and then coping with it through obsessively trying to control your environment is something that I'm like, Oh, right. I see you kid. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> he's really, he's yeah. a really special little portrait for me. I think. Yeah. No, he's <laughs> baby. Yeah. One last thought, I guess, on Carmen that I just had now is that, you know, one of the things we already talked about, we're going to really dive into it here in a second, is the idea of Bride preying on Ronan's depression and his feelings of loneliness in this book. And we feel 
concern and empathy and a connection to Ronan because we know him so well and we love him so much. We don't know Carmen that way, but I think that's exactly what the moderators did to her. We get the flashback of, I forget what his name is. Is it Locke? Which one shows Mm -hmm. up at her house? Um, Locke. The, the, after her brother kills her family, right? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, does she kill his family? It's kind of unclear. He kills most people. She shows up back home and they're sitting on her front porch waiting for her and so they're finding her at a moment of extreme vulnerability after she just like wandered the city and just like bought a bunch of random shit which retail therapy i relate to that hard carmen i get it so i mean yes it's it's, when you think about it that way i I should be more sympathetic and it's not that i'm unsympathetic i just don't know her in the same ways but it's a lot of what's going on for her here and so all right again we're gonna put on tinfoil hat I would like to see Ronan eventually in the series cast aside bride, Armin cast aside the moderators and like all come together for one big team up. Mm-hmm. And like, not only did the moderators absolutely prey on her in, in her most vulnerable moment, but they also are hanging the implication that she had any kind of complicity with her brother's actions over her head. Yeah. It's extremely toxic. I mean, and you see that with, it, it, you're slow to come to understand it. So I think that it makes sense that we're still feeling like we're in the early stages of knowing this character, but both she and Parsifal clearly are in this organization as the dr- direct result of feeling responsible for something terrible happening that wasn't their fault, you know? Yeah, and absolutely. Um, it's manipulation. I My tinfoil theory is I feel like maybe Carmen... And Liliana and Adam could be a team up in the future. Yeah. So let's, let's go full, full tilt here into theorizing <laughs> because, okay, so this is a theory that is all over Tumblr. And I feel like this is how they could come into play here based on what you just said, Kat, is that Adam is a visionary. Mm. What are our thoughts on that? But I see a lot of evidence for it other than like visionaries see the future and psychics see the future. But like Tumblr likes to think that he's a visionary. I don't like that just because of uh, what happens to visionaries. Well, yeah. um, also, I don't feel like he, like you said, I don't think he has a lot of the the symptoms because he doesn't have that big. But I think maybe in the same way that Ronan is extra dreamer, Adam is yeah. like a, a different kind of visionary, which we already know because he's psychic. So, and we know that not all psychics need to travel through their own timelines in a big explosive way in order to see the future. So uh, does he need to be a visionary? No. Right. Also people think that, and I hate this. I don't think (laughs) it's right. um, Is that bride is like an older version of Adam. No, no, No. I don't. I definitely, there is an element of that, that, keep swimming around in my brain not that specifically but like maybe this is just because I watched the series dark too soon before reading the series but like I I always had this weird feeling that like is there some way in which because there's so much like twins you know copies of people people misplaced in time in the series I I was I'm so concerned and confused by the connection between Bride and Ronan Mm -hmm. that there was a part of me particularly around him talking about him being like the most, what was it? The most expensive thing he's ever saved or something like that. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I kind of feel, I was like, are these, is this the same person somehow? Like it, what? Yeah. He 
it doesn't actually make sense. So it is not an official theory of mine, but I'm yeah. like, is he somehow future Ronan? Like, what is this? That all goes into why Bride is so cagey and doesn't want to be seen by them. Cause he's like, when you see me, that means like everything's going to change. I don't know if I want your life to change. And so that's all very ominous. So it's like, okay, are you someone we know? But then mm -hmm. Ronan does not seem to recognize him at all. And mm -hmm. we know he's drummed a lot about an older Adam. He knows what an older Nile looks like. Or he knows what an older himself looks like because it's Nile. Like mm -hmm. so I I just I don't think that he is anyone that we know. But I no. still then that begs the question of why is Bride so cagey and what does it mean that now that Ronan has seen him, it it changes. Well, I think maybe that in itself is a manipulation because one way to keep somebody on that hook, like on the line, is to be coy, is to keep parts of yourself away so that um, they don't learn everything right away and then lose interest, right? So in order to yeah. keep him and Hennessy on the trail to solve this big mystery, he has to keep himself mysterious yeah. until he's ready, to, until they trust him and they are involved enough to already be a yeah, part of it. feel like yeah. he's saved their life. Mm -hmm. They're dependent exactly. On they him, have to feel like run. they owe him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the the I've said something about the Satisha. Like there's this scene where he's he kind of gets like quiet. Bride does it gets quiet. And it's kind of like I don't know if I want you to do this. And I that was the one moment where I was kind of like maybe is Bride good? I was like no, he is grooming me now too. Like he's mm -hmm. coming for me. But my other moment of hesitation though is how Opal at the end of that one chapter is like pride. Yeah. Get pride. And so that could be several things, right? Like we know she's a part of Ronin. And so Ronin, this whole book has been drawn to bride. So is Opal manifesting that? Mm -hmm. Is it because Opal is in Lindenmere? And we get the kind of also ominous quote about how Lindenmere is a more dangerous caves water, the version of Kate or different dreamscape yeah. than caves water was because he put too many safe holes, I guess, on, on caves water, but he let Lindemere be more of itself. So like is bride somehow able to manipulate Lindenmere and the people in it and therefore manipulate Opal. So that was like weird to me too, that Opal, who is a scaredy cat, as we yeah. know of a lot of things is like bride, get bride. I don't know what that means. I got so obsessive about language in this too on reread, which I think is just me chasing my tail. Like this is where I'm going to start embarrassing my future self, right? <laughs> but um, there, there are so many terms that we use in this series that we like take for granted that we understand them, but I don't know that there's, there's like no real definition. Like even things like Grey Warren, like we don't know what that is. Right. We just know it's what, you know, Lindenmere calls Ronan, but there's like, there's little moments like Bride refers to it at one point as like your forest and our oh, ley line. Yeah. And then, and, he, and then when he comes to, to Lindenmere the first time, Lindenmere says, um, he's here, Grey Warren. Yeah. And there's a part of me that's like, are they ref like, who are, who's is, he? Is that, does that sentence mean what I think it does? Or does it mm -hmm. mean that Grey Warren is a thing that could also mean bride? There's so much language that can be so muddy and magical, you know? Well, and bride says earlier, and I think in the first half of the book, like multiple Warrens, like 
he he uses the term Warren. So yeah, we don't know a, a lot about the Great <laughs> yeah. Warren. We, we don't. I have. There's just so many questions again. again and Bride does. And Bride does tell that story um, about. I'm not remembering a lot of the story right at this moment, but that story he tells about um, like the hawk or whatever that mm-hmm. had to spend eternity in a dream or whatever and not able to come out. I feel like that he's telling his own story here or yeah. something like that. Well, yeah, he's the telling. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Corin. No, well, and he he says the hawk, you know, the hawk lived for like thousands and thousands of years. And Bride also talks a lot about how like, he used to rain more and there are more trees. You should have seen it. And I'm like, how old are you, Bride? He Where's- feels like a very ancient thing, right? And also mm-hmm. when he does finally show up, he is described as hawkish. Like right. he looks hawkish. He's yeah. got a hawkish nose and his hair is tawny. And like, I feel like it's this dude, right? I'm suspicious of his form, to be honest with you. Because so he, there's this whole there's this whole through line of like the heroic stories that their father used to tell them about like what the rules are and what a hero is and all this stuff. And then you have bride telling him exactly the same kind of story about Finton, right? This, Mm -hmm. this Irish hero. Right. Mm -hmm. And then specifically when he shows up, Ronan thinks he looked like a hero. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, does he, or does he look like a hero because he needs you to think exactly. He knows how to manipulate you. Yeah. Right. And then, like, that last scene, not when Hennessy and Ronan pull him out at the end. Again, I'm saying pull him out because I've, I'm fully ascribed to Tej's theory that he is mm. a dream and that he needs to be pulled out of a dreamscape at that point. In the point. same but, way that the lace does. Yeah, yeah. So, but so he, he, you know, yeah. <laughs> he thinks, like, you're, you're ready for the next part of the game. I am too, but I've been burned before. Wait, I tell myself, wait, slow high circles watching. So like, what has he, what, again, what is his, his angle? What is his motivation? And then he like leaves them and is like, oh no, no, the world's going to shit. Like what? I don't have answers. And if he knew that there were attacks happening, why didn't he warn them? Because obviously this is Hennessy's family being attacked and Ronan's family being attacked unless it's, he doesn't warn them because them being on their own is... Is, right. is exactly. But why does he need to leave? Well, we know that there were other um, uh, attacks happening all over the world, right? Or at least right. one in yeah, South Africa that South was South. happening at the same time. So, okay. But if, okay, if we think about it this way, okay. So one of my thoughts last week was like Nathan Brooklyn as this, like is a dreamer and there's like, drama that goes on in Ireland at the beginning of the book and then he's killed and then bride is associated with that drama in Ireland that he like led people on a chase in Ireland so like does that plus what we learned in this back half give any other additional indication as to his motives like what are are the visionaries tracking bride like is is that what they're having visions of well like, I think that's why the dreamers are the, are the ones who end the world because maybe bride is the one who ends the world and them yeah. pulling him out is what happens and I also have the theory that he created the lace himself and that's why he is the only thing it fears because maybe he's the only one that can unmake it yeah the the story that he tells reminded me of the original avatar story from legend of Korra, like that we were maybe hearing the story of the first dreamer or something like that but we just don't have the full story yet so there's a part of me that feels like maybe he's like the original dreamer and so maybe he's like the first and last kind of thing where Mm. he will end the world I'm also curious, I can't remember if you guys discussed this already, but so is the Nightwash 
and the trances, are those things new? Like, I think it's unclear to me whether that has always been an element of yeah. what's going on or whether it's escalating. I think the night wash is something that's always been around because older dreamers reference it a lot, but I think it's, it's definitely accelerated. Like it used to be where they would have to go a long time in between dreaming for the night wash to happen. I mean, we know that Hennessy was able to go on with like, you know, a year in between, in between like getting the night wash so bad that she had to finally dream. I think maybe bride is influencing that a little bit. Like he's accelerating the night. He's trying to make it feel dire that they need him. They need to pull him out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just feels so connected that the the lace wants out and all of a sudden all of these manifested dreams are like dreaming of fire, you know? And the night wash itself seems reminiscent of the lace, doesn't it? Like it's described in very similar terms. Yeah. And the lace, the lace is something to me that I, my brain like breaks when I think about it too much. Mm -hmm. I do think there are so many similarities to the night wash. The fact that it's afraid of bride, like I can't, figure out how that piece of the puzzle fits in mm-hmm. because if it's ex- if it is related to the night wash and the night wash is accelerated because bride wants to accelerate his timeline for whatever his motive is like how but the, the lace is afraid of him like what does that mean i i don't quite get what it it is is the lace i think that works well with cat's theory of bride being kind of like the original dreamer so all yeah. of this would would it and in some way be coming from him, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And the lace in a lot of ways is it's preying on fear, right? There's a lot of conversation when Bride is talking with Hennessy about how, you know, the it, it, he says something to her about her heart had been asking for the memory of her her mom. Like we we mm. fool ourselves when we're afraid. So like it obviously has some connection to the fear that Hennessy has. And that's why it's always so present in her dreams. I think, I don't know. (laughs) It's totally spitballing here. It's wild. I mean, it feels, it feels like in, in like an Occam's razor kind of way. Like if we're just looking for the simplest explanation, the increasing night wash and the increasing dreaming of the dreams feels like it could just be pressure from the lace on dreamers. Like the lace is Mm -hmm. trying to find ways to, to get through them out into the world. And that's like affecting them and their creations increasingly. And then though, like you've mentioned earlier, though, I still don't know what the hell is going on with like Matthew and Jordan in the dream creatures and why they're all being drawn to. Not great, Bob. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I still think that Bride is, you know, because he does talk about in the earlier half of the book, he talks a lot about connecting all of these all of these things and how the world used to look like a different place and mm-hmm. how it used to be more powerful, more wild. Um, and that's kind of similarly described in, I think, Blue Lily, Lily Blue. And uh, Adam and Persephone are talking about what the world would look like if all of the Caveswater type places on the ley line were connected like the way Caveswater wanted to be. Yeah. I feel like that is Bride's ultimate motivation. Like that's probably why he wants out. He wants to connect all these places. He wants the world to be like Lindenmere instead of Lindenmere being uh, one little spot on a ley line, you know, yeah. he can make the whole world look like that. Yeah, he's really got kind of a cleansing of the world villain vibe going mm-hmm. on, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, one thing I do want to briefly bring up too is something that Maggie tweeted to circle back to Adam Parrish, because that's apparently where my mind always goes. Mm-hmm. She tweeted something once, like a song 
it's called Dark Magic, I think. And said Adam Parrish in Dreamer number two. And the lyrics are like, dark, like, or black magic coming for you, black magic. Like, it, it, it seems very ominous that, like, basically mm. insinuating that Adam is going to have to engage in some sort of, like, dark forces to do something in the second Dreamer book. So I don't know. I, I know, Tasia, you've read some of those theories too. Like, if we just want to, like, throw out any thoughts on what Adam is going to do. I, I just feel like Adam is going to have to, again, just maybe just do some scary things to try to save Ronan. I, where I am right now is that he's heading back to the barns and he's going to have to team up with Declan and mm. Jordan and try to like save Ronan now that he's like missing. Mm-hmm. Well, and we know how pragmatic Adam is, right? Like uh, concepts of good and evil aren't necessarily going to matter to him when it's like, is this the easiest or mo- most logical way to get the the result that I want? So I think is, concepts like black magic or dark magic aren't going to weigh as heavily on him as they might other people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's a very good point. Look, man. I love all this speculating. It is so much fun and it's so stressful. (laughs) Right. Well, we know too. Let me just briefly look at Maggie's Instagram because we were briefly talking about this amongst ourselves. She's been sharing every week a quote out of context from Mr. Impossible with a countdown. Some of them are just very innocuous. Matthew asked, why does he treat you like you're real? Jordan said, because I am real. So that's like a nice moment. Blah, 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 blah. We're the villains, she thought. Who who's thinking we're the villains? Um, maybe Jordan. But this oh, one from Armin. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. Not Jordan. I was thinking Hennessy. I always do that. This one is from this past week though. Bride was already standing by the bunk, eye to eye with Ronan, somehow less like himself, frighteningly close. He didn't smile, but he was all teeth. He said, Whose dream is this? What bunk? Like, where are oh. they? <laughs> I don't like it, guys. <laughs> I don't care for it. Uh, but also, just this moment, which is obviously referencing one Adam Parrish. What do you think he's like? I honestly have no idea, Hennessy said. Who would be attracted to you if the love match has he got crushingly low self-esteem? Is he one of those soft boys who hides in the firm pecks with his scary partner? Is he a <laughs> witch? Did he say a spell wrong and you appeared and now you're bound for life? Yeah, Ronan said that one. <laughs> Like, I love that so much. Adam Parrish is coming to play. Like we're not. Also, I'm like, you got it wrong. Ronan is the soft boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Adam um, is soft for Ronan. But anyway, so any other big thoughts, theories before we dive into superlatives here? No, man. I'm just so I'm I'm dying I'm re- to know what happens. I'm ready. Yep. <laughs> I'm ready. And then. The book's going to come out. We're going to just have to wait again. Although I did see when I was looking for those quotes, something that she posted about how she will have finished book three before we even read book two. So I'm hopeful that means we get book three in a quicker turnaround time than we did between books one and two. Yeah. All right. Favorite quotes. Okay. So I decided partly because my swoons are really like, they're not so much swoons swoons as uh, things that made my heart hurt. I, I would go lighthearted with my favorite quotes. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my favorite quotes are the ones that made me the laugh, laugh the most. One of them is uh, <laughs> when Hennessy and Ronan are in uh, Lindenmere and it makes the beautiful lights. And then he says something in Latin. She's like, what did, what did you say? And he says, 
that means thank you in Latin. And it's goddamn polite to say it when you like something. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine Ronan teaching manners to somebody else, like Ronan of all people. I do. I meant to bring this up earlier, though. I just want to give a quick shout out to Opal, who is so great with Hennessy. And Ronan thinks about how like she had a soft spot for the downtrodden because she was one herself. That level of more. It was really sweet. Yeah. Um, my other quote, because I am a cheater with two, uh, is when Farouk Lane is just kind of breaking in a really delightful way at the end. And uh, there's all the introspection about her seeing a feather floating on a pool as a child and kind of like really forming herself around that idea. Yeah. And then the little moment when she says, I am that feather, Farouk Lane thought. She was not a feather. She punched JJ Ramsey hard enough that he fell ass over tits. <laughs> so good. Great moment. We love, yes. love that moment for her. Yeah. It's um, a great look for her. Yeah. I also have some funny ones because I see Tejo has at least a couple of deeper ones. So we'll keep going with the funny first. Again, just a, an example of the dry, sarcastic wit between Jordan and Hennessy that they both display at different times. I'm not getting the tattoo. Oh, we're doing drama. <laughs> I need to start using that. So many times in this book, I read a line. I'm like, oh, I need to start using yeah. that in conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. It, that was like a great way to talk about it. And then I love this moment when it's horrible, but it's like, for me, it was just very funny. It's not actually funny, but I found it very funny when <laughs> Declan finally gets Ronan to come over after Matthew figured out he's dream. And Ron just being like, whatever, like I was dreaming or I was wherever, it's fine. Like you're not my keeper. And and everyone's like, it's his birthday and they were going to go to the zoo. So we still hit in the zoo. And Declan goes, well, you were out doing fuck all with yourself. He figured out you dreamt it. So no, we are not still hitting the zoo. And it's the way it's written out is it's, so no, we are not period, still period, hitting period, does period, zoo, period. (laughs) So it's like visually makes me laugh so much that's my favorite all right i will continue with the the funnies first before we get into the serious stuff so uh, i love this so much this is when ronan um first meets all the all the copies and hennessy and everything he says oh and he he remembers that jordan went on a date with declan and he says, I'm pretty sure he only dates Ashley's, Ronan said. The stupider, the better, just in case you were thinking of calling him back. I wouldn't, personally. It looks like a very boring time. Why are there so fucking many of you? That's messed up. Which one of you is the original? And this is just like Ronan Lynch as a toddler. Like, he reminds me of that kid in Home Alone, like, when they're packing up the vans to go to the airport. You know, when he's asking the drivers 8 billion questions and they're just like, oh, my God, go away, kid. That is Ronan Lynch. It really is. It really um, is. <laughs> big like but why energy yeah <laughs> yeah just just definitely a toddler um and then uh in ronin's streamer he's a cloud ronin didn't reply because he was a cloud he was glad to be spared the conversation really words felt exhausting and he was relieved to find he didn't have the necessary parts to form them he spread through the colorless sky and rained some more he thundered a little that's a mood yeah, yeah. Like, i, I like the cloud scene I do and too. Then, like, bride comes and he's just like, nah, I'm a cloud. <laughs> and bride's like, are you done, dude? We're just like bride trying to deal. Like he's like, trying I'm trying to, to, to manipulate this yeah. guy. And all he wants to do is dream about feeding his older boyfriend tomatoes and being a cloud. Like he's probably so- at least Ronan made him work for it, right? Oh, that's yeah. funny. I mean, who among us does not want to be a sassy cloud? It sounds right. nice. 
And then uh, the, the, the sads. Yeah. Um, after Declan finds out that Jordan is a dream, says he couldn't take it anymore. He didn't have it in him to love another dream. It hurt too bad. Loving anything did. And you can't hear me, but I am internally screaming. <laughs> it's it's very upsetting. Very upsetting. Got to laugh or I'll cry. <sighs> yeah. Um, on that note, favorite character and favorite character arc. Look at what I see here. Hmm. It is a clean sweep. Whale, whale, whale. Favorite character for one Declan Lynch. And you know what? He needs that. He's never been the favorite. He needs, he needs a win. win. <laughs> He's the favorite now. You're the favorite with us, Declan. Yeah. Uh, I I am not... Per- I, I've, again, I've joked about this several times before about the the propaganda that comes from Tasia. <laughs> if you were reading these series for the first time when it comes to Declan. But like... It really is just really great stuff from Maggie here. The the way she lays out his character and makes him so, so appealing is just masterfully done. And I love him independent of what Tasha has told me I should do. He's just great. <laughs> He's great. Um, shout out to, and we did share this on socials, to us, uh, to Kat. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> to Cat coining the phrase, sexy existential dread as applied to the Lynch brothers and particularly Declan because just their vibe <laughs> nothing more accurate <laughs> just the most accurate thing and then arc we do have kind of different answers for this cat yeah so I picked sort of the combination of Parsifal and Farouk Lane it just it's not a it's not really a big character arc so it's sort of not answering the question but just the the arc of their relationship and their understanding of each other's pain, I think is so beautifully drawn. Like it just, it's just very special to me that they get this sort of, I don't know, grumpy, loving, protective relationship sort of too late. Um, Yeah. I love them. They're really sweet. I have Jordan. It's my favorite arc because I feel as though for me, I I just really like, maybe because I'm thinking of how it's going to go for Matthew, but I like this idea of a dream striking out on her own. And, and I, I think it's very clear throughout the book in particular, how she builds to the point where she basically tells Tennessee, I'm not getting the tattoo. I'm doing this on my own. And I, I just really liked that for her here. Asia. Um, I had Jordan and Tennessee, obviously for different reasons, because they're they're finally on a, on different arcs, which is great for both of them, I think, and especially especially Hennessy this time around, because like I said earlier, I I do kind of have like judgmental feelings towards her and her defeatism because it's looking in that mirror that I don't like. But um, I love that by the end she has kind of decided she's like, okay, this isn't just about saving the girls. I also don't want to die. And she also doesn't want to be alone. She also wants to be friends with Ronan and and change, change her life. And she had given up before. And now she's finally, and like you said earlier, Kat, like she has that that hope again. And yeah. I, I love that for her, even if she is getting into some dirty water right now with Bride. <laughs> yeah. And then, Boone, Kat, why don't you go ahead and read the, 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 the rest of that? Um, <sighs> Oh, sure. I read about Ronan being alone. Will do. So <laughs> we end uh, with Ronan having passed through his security system saying, uh, only the quiet that came when you were something strange enough to outsurvive the things that killed or drove away everyone you loved. 
And then Ronan was through and swiping away the tears before Adam joined him by the shoulder, emerging from the dark with the bright dream light cupped in his hands. Break will be here in just a few days, Adam said. He kissed Ronan's cheek lightly and then Ronan's mouth. I'm coming back. Be here for me. Tom Quam, Ronan said. Alter Edom. (laughs) It just hurts me. It's so sweet and romantic and sad. (laughs) They're so soft together. It's like like physically painful. Yeah, I mean, that is a book in which Adam and Ronan exist. Like my favorite soon is always going to be them because I love them so much. But there are so many other great... Declan and Jordan moment here, which I think is what all the rest of us have written here. Um, I love this one too, Kat, that you have written down. It's not cheating. We love multiple swoons. So <laughs> Okay, great. Throw this one in too. Um, see, this is from the painting scene. They're talking about a famous painter. Uh, Jordan says, I think that's just not showing the work in the margins, isn't it? You've practiced spontaneity. You want the viewer to respond to the unfretful line, even though it took fretting to get there. You're making it about them instead of you. True performance. What a master. She was telling him something about herself. No one knew him, Declan said. He was telling her something about himself. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I also had this as a potential for one of my favorite quotes, Tasia, but it's it's a good moment. So I've split up this quote a little bit because there is a section in the middle that I didn't include because it was too long. Um, But it is, he got up, but before he got to the canvas, Jordan stood to interrupt him with a hand flat on his belly. He was very still. And then it goes on to say, he felt a bright humming energy all through him, something he hadn't felt in a very long time. His stomach was a ruin, his life in black and white, this moment in color. Love that for our boy. I love it. Still having his dread and nervous stomach, which as someone with an Irish stomach myself, I appreciate that about you, Jackson. <laughs> that existential dread, guys. Yeah, the existential <laughs> dread. There it is. Like, I am, like, hot for you, but my stomach hurts. <laughs> so relatable. Cheaty energy. Yeah. And then your other one. <laughs> it is cheaty energy. Um, <laughs> uh, in the attic and... You know, this is when she spouts off an, an art fact and he thinks, fuck, he told himself, do not fall in love with this girl. Made even more devastating because a moment later, the very next moment, he finds out she's a dream and it's Ugh. painful. Yeah. Devastating. Um, and then mine is just before that, which is the countertop moment, followed by what happens afterwards. So she's sitting on the counter. She spreads her legs so that he can come stand between her. She puts his hand under his shirt on his stomach, but then... That's not in and of itself. But then they have this exchange, and I've kind of taken out a couple of words here. Where's the real you? How do you know it's not the real me? Your shoes. And then he just like pauses and he just goes upstairs. And he takes her to his repression <sighs> attic. And like, guys, that's great. Like all the names that you guys have spouted for this attic just in this recording. You're like the crying <laughs> attic, the repression attic, the art attic. <laughs> all of those things. <laughs> This Multi- I spent a lot of time thinking about yeah. this attic. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, he just like pauses and just like, guess, I, guess I'm in. Like, I'm, I'm going. Well, you got me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great. And again, I just have to go back to the fact that the shoes is what sticks out to her and the fact that she calls, uh, suggested he wears Crocs earlier. Like, it's just <laughs> very funny to me. It's very funny. So I also uh, love her Declan that he can't tell. Like, you know, he's trying to create this persona and he works so hard at it but he like couldn't help himself with the shoes mm-hmm. like he could have picked some boring shoes but he just couldn't i love that oh, guys 
fuck? Like when I finished <sighs> this, I was like, this, and I said this last week too. I do think in a lot of ways, this is one of Maggie's best written books. It's so the plot is so propulsive and interesting and chewy. The character stuff is so good. She's made us feel very invested in characters that we did not know before or did not know as well. Um, and it's it's really good stuff. And I can't wait to see where this trilogy is going. Even if it's gonna hurt me along the way. I'm ready. Yep. Ready to be hurt, Margaret. Plan on spending several hours laying on the floor sobbing after the next one. We'll see. Oh how it my god. Oh I know. God. I'm like again, do why do books come out on Tuesday? <laughs> I, do I need I should I take the day off? I maybe should. I don't know. I told Corinne that I'm like actually like legitimately terrified of my own reaction to what's gonna happen. Yeah. Like I'm I'm scared of for my own mental health. Yeah. Which is really something hard too. It's yeah, a, in the middle ones. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news, I think, is that I don't know that like we're not going to lose any big players, right? Like in the middle of the trilogy, like I still it will be the that someone will die. Why would you say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Again, I have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to make myself feel okay about what potentially is coming. So <laughs> that's where I'm at. Well. That's it for us on the Raven Cycle and the Dreamer Trilogy. Oh my God. I'm so sad. It's been so fun. We will cover Mr. Impossible when it comes out, obviously, because we can't help ourselves. But it's really sad to be the end of this journey. But I think I'm really proud of everything that we've done. We thank everyone so much for listening. And I'm, I'm really proud in particular of how we covered Called on the Hawk because it felt very daunting to us for a lot of reasons for just everything that's happening in it. And I feel like today's discussion she was in particular was just really i'm really proud of how we handled a lot of the stuff here and i think we put some good thoughts out there and i can't wait to see if our theorizing is is red is any way shape or form right um, but this was really fun yeah i didn't think it was possible but this whole journey has uh increased my love for this for these series even more than it already was which is really saying something and this yeah. book in particular i think i have an even greater appreciation of call down the hawk and i already loved it yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, it's definitely benefited from a reread, for sure. Kat, thank you so much for coming today. It was oh, so fun. You, you are I, welcome to come back anytime. We love chatting yeah. with you. I would love to. I was honored to be here with my tinfoil hat on for this last <laughs> I you really know, we enjoyed your coverage of it. So. <laughs> Thanks. We should have actually crafted tinfoil hats for us also. Well, been. next time. Oh, next I know. Time. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> so I guess before we go then, let's announce where we're going next. So because Sage and I are very tired after this project, <laughs> it has been a lot of work. Which we, is saying something because we've only covered half of the book for each week. But it has been a lot. It has been a lot. And so going forward, at least for the foreseeable future, um, our plan is to go to every other week, which is sad, but also give us time to like live lives outside of this podcast, especially as the weather starts getting nicer. And maybe we'll like be able to venture outside our homes a little bit more in a COVID safe way. I think it'll just be good for us uh, to, to have a little bit more of a break. And then maybe we'll come here every week and we'll actually have obsessions to talk about because we'll have time to right. share other things. So on that note, our next episode, drumroll please, which will be two weeks from when this episode drops, will be on Tasia. Would you like to do the honors? Sure. So we wanted to cover, you know, give us a little a little break from the the fantasy and the series and just do a kind of a standalone non-fantasy book and a, and a bit of a classic. So we went with The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky, and that's what we'll be covering in a couple of weeks. 
Yep. I'm really excited. I've never read it actually, nor have I seen the movie. And we're also going to plan to watch the movie and talk about it too in the same episode. Uh, so hopefully if you've read it before, you'll be interested in revisiting it. If not, we have a couple weeks here to read it. Yeah. Uh, we did put this up in an Instagram poll and this is what won. So we're, uh, we're excited about it and we'll see where we're going from there. But again, thank you so much to everyone who's listened along with us. We've had a lot of fun and thanks for listening to us cry and laugh and swoon mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, we really appreciate it. Before we go, uh, where can our listeners, if they're interested, find you online? Um, you can find me on my semi-professional Instagram, uh, Cat Build Stuff. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Rin underscore Reads, Tasia. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Rage Cakes. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at ActiaAge. You can also uh, shoot us an email at ActiaAgePod at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or comments on things we could cover in the future or really any feedback. We'd greatly appreciate it. And if you also wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you podcast, that would be great and be very helpful to us. So yeah, keep an eye on our socials, stay connected with us, and we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks for Perks Speaking Wallflower. Bye. Bye.